Hi, this is Jesse, and welcome to Red Cloaks Radio Extra Innings, where we are going to have a fantastic conversation today with an exciting candidate. We have Isan Lecky, who is here. She's a candidate running in CD4 for what was formerly Joe Kennedy's seat. Joining me today are Linda Vieira from Indivisible Acton, Lori Benninger from Cape Cod Women for Change and Indivisible Mass Coalition, Martha from Boston Red Cloaks, and I'm Karen from Boston Red Cloaks. And we welcome you, Isan. Thank you so much for having me. This is such a beautiful coalition to have um, this safe space to share and to represent many who have been silenced for too long or chose silence for their own safety. Some of us had the good fortune to meet you several months back on the steps of the State House when the Red Cloaks were in costume. And at that time, you were going to be running against Kennedy for his seat. And since that time, the field of contenders has grown quite large. Why have you chosen to run at this particular time for U.S. Congress? When I decided to run uh, and I chose to run against my own congressman, Joe Kennedy, was because I really wanted that healthcare be a human right. And I truly believed that abortion is healthcare and that reproductive justice is healthcare. I have had many experiences in my personal life that have led me to deciding to stand up for our communities. Um, and I had felt that our leadership has come short for so long, especially when you see someone who has a big last name, who has $4 million cash on hand, and when we stood up and we demanded Medicare for all, the, the, the universal single payer healthcare system that covers abortion as healthcare, he was reluctant for two years and I needed to, to have answers. Uh, I'm a Wall Street regulator. I fought the biggest banks on Wall Street on behalf of the American people. And so I investigated and found out that my own Congressman Joe Kennedy was taking pharmaceutical money and healthcare money and fossil fuel money. And he was taking money from the same banks that I was regulating. And as you know, the issues are intersectional. Issues of reproductive justice are not just about abortion. They're about economic prosperity. They're about clean air and water. They're about uh, good paying jobs and safety at the workplace and at the schools. These are intersectional issues. And I found that the complacency called on us, the people who have experienced poverty, who have experienced injustice in, in reproductive uh, care, to stand up for all of us and say enough is enough. Let's have a government that works for the people and not for the corporate few. This intersectionality is so on point for the work that we've done in Red Cloaks because you really can't move one lever and then have equity. It doesn't work that way. In reality, at least in the State House, just like you were waiting for action, we've been waiting since a big hearing held in June 2019 when hundreds of people came and shared their stories and gave testimony, and yet there's been no action. I'm very interested in hearing what your views are about abortion as healthcare and how is it that you've become clearly able to speak about it out loud when so many people don't. It's interesting because that time when I testified for the Roe Act, uh, when we met right right outside of the state house, 
it was the first time that I ever publicly talked about my personal experience. And at that time, even my mother didn't know. Nobody in my family knew. And it was a huge step for me to come out and to say, enough is enough. I have seen the dark rooms. I have seen the injustice of what it's like to experience an abortion that is unsafe and that is criminalized and that was deemed illegal in another country. Um, as you know, I grew up in Morocco. And when I was only 17, I wanted my right to my body. I wanted to make decisions for myself. I wanted to get an abortion and I needed it for healthcare. And so I was denied that, but not only denied it, but I was faced with the danger of being denied it in the healthcare system, of it being criminalized as to if somebody found out I could end up in jail, and of the social stigma around abortion that could have ended me dead either way. And so when I came to the US, first of all, I came under the assumption that healthcare is a human right in the US and that we are way beyond thinking that abortion is not healthcare. Um, I was shocked first and foremost that when I showed up at the counter in a pharmacy to get a birth control pill, when I was working poverty wages, mopping the floors in restaurants, I was denied that pill because I could not afford it. It was $65 a month that I could not afford. So the problems that we are into, as you mentioned before, hit hard in our economics, in our rights of as workers, in our protections as workers, um, in a lot of aspects of our lives. And as someone who's, who was facing sexual harassment and wage thefts and poverty and a lot of pressures, there was a sense of me that was an awakening that in this country, abortion is afforded for those who can afford to have $15,000 to go to Colorado, for example, or more to go to Canada, but not for people like me. And that's, that's why I have been, you know, at the forefront showing up at the state house and sitting there and sharing so that our politicians can experience a little bit emotionally of what we go through in that process and how we can fix it through policy and through healing our communities. You know, in 1973, Roe v. Wade was passed, and so many women have grown up with abortion being, quote, legal. There are lots of restrictions, even in Massachusetts, and it's worse in many, many states. Many teenagers and young women in their 20s and 30s don't know what it's like to not have some access to abortion. And I'm wondering, if you have any thoughts about how we as women can educate other women as to, to not take the right to an abortion for granted. 
because it is not it is the law right now but it's in a Roe v. Wade could be overturned if another Supreme Court justice gets appointed there are so many restrictions in other states and even in Massachusetts there are you know very real barriers for young women and women of color and women who uh, do not have much income as you yourself have talked about well look our movement has been doing so much to educate but the way i see it this isn't what's about women is about everybody else we need to educate everyone all gender identities all peoples who are um, affected by abortion be it transgender or women or transgender men who also have abortions but we're not going to be the ones who are going to pass the policies and educate if it's only the us who are affected directly and physically by it are the ones who are who are speaking up we need our allies to speak up for us because quite frankly they have more privilege than we do right men have more privilege than we do they have more power they have more money especially white rich white men we see this in the structures of our boards of our governments we see these even even within our families we see how we need to have allies from everywhere to speak up for us and to protect us and so that movement has to be intersectional and has to be mutual and has to center racial justice in it this isn't just a specific gender problem but everybody's problem so i think that building that solidarity in our movement um, is very very important to us being able to, to pass these policies to protect us. I agree with that. And I think that Indivisible in general has been working on racial justice issues. You know, we were among the first that went to the airports with the Muslim ban and we're learning to see all policy through a lens of racial justice. And certainly this Roe Act would go a long way to adjusting the, the inequities in the system here. It's very refreshing to hear you frame it in that context. The other thing that's really interesting to me is the way our religious right, both here in Massachusetts and, and in other states, frame the argument differently. And I'm wondering if you see parallels between here and, and where you grew up. And, and the treatment that you received when when you sought an abortion and were denied or were, were forced to go underground as it were. That's 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 quite quite the question. And look, I think that religious beliefs and faith are there for us to explore and to see how they affect our lives. And we have religious freedom in this country that is in parallel to any other country in the world. And that's something that we must protect. Um, we have seen a lot of attacks on various communities on, you know, we've seen anti-Semitism, we've seen Islamophobia, we've seen white supremacists attacking um, these communities. And we have to really stand in solidarity during this time to make sure that we protect that religious freedom and that we also protect the freedom of speech, right? So that we can continue to speak up about injustice wherever we see it. I believe that you know anyone in our country is welcome to practice their faith however they want or have no faith. What we also protect is human rights. 
And that's where our laws come in, is to protect human rights. We believe that abortion is healthcare. We believe that healthcare is a human right. Therefore, abortion is a human right. That's the bottom line. Do you have any recommendations for how we might speak to those who have very strong religious views that position them against abortion as a human right? I would say, first of all, speak more to those who don't and who aren't educated. Grow your base, grow the base, bring more and more and more people. And you will realize that more people are behind you when you grow your movements with love, when you grow your movements into those who haven't been approached and who have been sidelined. A lot of parts of our movement that have been sidelined have been in the immigrants community, especially when they come here new, that there isn't enough outreach to them as soon as they come through that airport that we're going to start to educate and engage them civically and engage them in the organizing. We have to understand that people who, especially those who come from um, oppressive systems and oppressive regimes um, and very conservative backgrounds, those are the people that we have an opportunity to bring them in and, and actually show them the level of freedom that we have in our country and educate them on healthcare. Um, I also believe that our outreach needs to go beyond our communities locally and, and throughout the U.S. We need to also have outreach internationally. We have to build coalitions internationally. Um, in the country where I come from, in, in Morocco, there are over 600 abortions per day. All those abortions are unsafe. All those abortions are crim criminalized. And Furthermore, there are a lot of abandoned babies that you find in, in stoops and in corners. And I don't want to draw a really sad picture. There are a lot of people who step in and there are a lot of people who help women who have been harmed uh, most of the time. And that is what we need to do in building this international coalition. I've seen these things as a child. You know, I've seen these things with my own eyes. And, and as a little girl, um, seeing abandoned babies, you know, really scarred me. And I, I, I remember I was with my dad coming back from school and I cried. I was like, can we take that baby home? What can we do? But it, was, it, it, it wasn't economically feasible and it was too late. The child was already gone. And I'm, I'm sorry to share something so, so sad, but these are realities. These are realities, and if we don't stand up, and if we don't fight back right here, if we don't fight back for our reproductive rights and for the most vulnerable in our communities, we're gonna end up the same. And we can't, we can't. if we're gonna lead the world into justice, we have to clean up our own house, right? We have to clean up right here. So let's, let's fight back at the state level, at the local level, at the federal level. Uh, and I, I'm just so excited to be a true advocate who is not funded by the pharmaceutical CEOs or the pharmaceutical companies, who's, who's 100% for the people and 100% for justice. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> that's wow. Yeah. that's a, a just incredibly moving, Isan. It truly, truly is because what the picture you paint today of 
situations in, in Morocco and other countries, I'm sure, is not un unlike the way the United States was prior to Roe versus Wade. There were the backstreet abortions, there were the abandoned babies, there were the suicides of the, of the pregnant women, uh, there was the criminalization, there was the social ostracization, uh, etc. But I want to go back to something that you were saying about bringing the men into this conversation because unfortunately still men make too many of the rules. It reminds me as you were speaking of the question that the white community so often asks the communities of color, what are you going to do to stop racism? And the answer from the communities of color is starting to be, what are you going to do? Because it's your problem. And that makes me think of bringing the men in. And we've had two conversations, one with Carmine Gentile, uh, who's running for re-election, and one for, uh, with Joss Mason, the first Barnstable, in which those two men had personal connections to abortionist health care. And then we also had a woman from the bad old days, Carol Dinow. She recorded a podcast with us and told us in detail how bad it really was prior to Roe versus Wade. So I really like your idea, and I like your idea of bringing the social aspect into the conversation and bringing men to the table to understand that it's an economic decision for a lot of women. So thank you for that. That was just such a creative moment. Thank you. Oh, my, the pleasure is all mine. I'm so happy to be here. And honestly, I'm very blessed with a man who is uh, so understanding and shares how this is related in his Irish family. Um, hmm. and, and really, he taught me the powers that we have. Right, as somebody who was new and immigrant and woman of color and working poverty wages, he, he empowered me on my inside to tell me to believe in our America, in our America, right? The one that we, not that we dream of, that we are promised, the one that we build together. That America is ours and we're gonna fiercely fight for it. Fear is behind us. There's only working the way through. And that's, that takes collective and individual power. Well, I'm so happy and so glad that you said that. You have somebody that really is behind you. Also, I would like to know what other ideas are you running on? Um, so I'm running um, on a, a very uh, justice-oriented, comprehensive, intersectional agenda um, <laughs> that includes Medicare for All, uh, includes a Green New Deal that includes uh, racial justice through every policy making. It includes universal family care, universal child care, free pre-K, canceling student debt, tuition-free public colleges and universities. It includes building millions of units of sustainable green housing, uh, affordable housing. It includes rebuilding our economy and our infrastructure, especially here in the fourth, where we need equity through transportation systems, through schools, through jobs, through the businesses that we bring to every town um, that will stay and build stability uh, 
uh, in the livelihood of the working families. My agenda also covers international policy uh, through the lens of stopping the forever wars, through, you know, we need to invest more in our communities and in being a peace promoter rather than to be uh, engaging in, in wars that have brought uh, trauma uh, internationally and locally and have not brought good results. So my agenda is truly comprehensive and I do ask if you can go uh, to my website at ihsan.org, it's I-H-S-S-A-N-E.org. Uh, there's an issues page that is very comprehensive uh, and that truly is built to serve the most vulnerable in our communities, to see people eye to eye, no matter their skin color and no matter where they were born. I just want to, in closing, point out that you are, in addition to being all the amazing things you are, you're also a mom. As a mom, looking yeah. forward for your own kid and all the kids you would represent, what is some change you would love to be part of helping create? All of it. Uh, you know, I have a, a beautiful uh, eight-year-old girl. Her name is Nora. Uh, and she is the, the light of my life. And I love her so much. And I couldn't have done this work without her. She has led me to, to step in. Because when you see your little girl and you're thinking about her one day, she will want to have freedom to her body. She will want to have freedom of religion, freedom of speech. She will want to have a future that is bright, uh, where the air is clean and the water is clean, and where the jobs are safe and pay people well, and where she won't see poverty, at least not in the richest country in the world. Um, a lot of what I do, I do it with that heart um, and with that protection and fierceness that I have around my own child. And that's how I feel about my constituents in the fourth district. And that's how I feel about the people of our country and the people in the world. Thank you so much for spending the time with us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a good afternoon. Thank you so much and good luck. Thanks Bye. for your fierce t-shirt. That's what kept me going. <laughs> well, I'm in solidarity with Kamal because Trump's already called her nasty. So I was going to wear my shirt. So from now on, yeah, if you're listening, Karen's wearing her nasty woman T-shirt today, and we we all just heard about the nominations. So well, we we we're gonna. That's great. We're gonna need a new T-shirt because uh, Tucker Carlson of Fox News um, called me ungrateful last night. Okay, so let's just take one extra minute, shall we? Do you have a response yeah. you'd like to give to that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, you know that you're doing something good when uh, Tucker Carlson says anything about you, uh, you know, calling, calling a human being who has survived poverty, not survived, really lived through the struggle of poverty and rose to fighting off the, the systems that created it as a Wall Street regulator and who is committed to continuing the betterment of our society and fighting off those systems uh, and, and grateful uh, is kind of like uh, we're being seen, I guess. We're being seen, but we're ready for this fight more than ever with you, all of you. Bring it on. <laughs> Bring it on.